Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone. I hope you're having a great day. It's officially the holidays. I can literally see the panic on some of my friends' faces. Um, At moments, I feel it too. See, Tim and I are about to enter the week of everything. So for us, in a nine-day period, we have six holidays. Starts with Christmas Eve and then Christmas. Then, like most triathlete couples, we got married in the off-season, so we are going on our 21st anniversary on December 28th. And I know you look at us and think... But you cannot be much older than 30 or 35, the max. I mean, how is this even possible? Honestly, I used to think we both looked really young for our age, but after we had Wilder, I actually now think we look exactly our ages, which are 45 and 47, which is saying more than some people who probably look older than their age. So that's not bad. We're winning. Um, Then two days after our anniversary, Wilder turned six on December 30th. And then the next day is New Year's Eve and then New Year's Day. And I know it sounds crazy, but this is the most fun week of the year for me. I love it. I love the parties. I love the whirlwind, the family, the friends, the food, the the big exercise blocks. I don't know. I just love it. And the adventures. I know I can't live like this all the time. It's not sustainable. (laughs) So I just soak it up. Um, but breaks are important for us so that we can refresh, shut off our brains for a bit and get ready for the next phase. Whether this is considered a break or not, it's kind of a break because it's sort of a break from work and it's a break in your normal schedule to have this kind of different phase of activity. So 2018 is right around the corner. Obviously, we know that. And it's so hard to believe every year we think, how did it come so fast? I think one of the hardest things for me right now is to truly live in the moment with all of the action going on. And one of the things that this podcast does for me, and I'm guessing it does for you too, is to remind us that today is the most important day of our lives The stories we hear, the people we meet through this podcast, they remind us because anything can happen. So take a moment and breathe it in and let your planning and your lists fall away and just be right here, right now with me. Our guest today, Marie Brown, is a great example of living in the moment and taking responsibility for yourself. At 18, Marie enlisted in the military. See, her childhood dream, this is crazy to me, that a four-year-old girl has this childhood dream, was to be a soldier. She joined the military police, and at age 20, she was deployed to Iraq. 
And when she returned, she suffered horrible physical and emotional after effects and was eventually diagnosed with Gulf War Syndrome, Meniere's disease, and PTSD. But the toughest part was that she was, I'm serious, those weren't the toughest parts. The toughest part for her was that she was honorably discharged from the military, which officially ended that dream that she'd had since she was four years old. And then she needed to redefine herself. So Marie is open and honest about her issues and her recovery. At four feet 11 and under 100 pounds, she's accustomed to being underestimated. Her strength, determination, and positivity through all of her hardships shines through. As she sought to take back her physical power, she found the power of running. And sometime after that, she discovered the fearlessness of flying. Yes, flying on the trapeze, (laughs) literally like circus performer flying. Um, Marie is an example of someone who could have simply curled up into a ball and have pity on herself and her situation, but instead she chooses to live fully engaged in the moment despite what her diagnoses say she should be able to do. Okay, then I'm going to go ahead and bring her on. Let's hear from Marie. So uh, today, Marie Brown, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. You know, full disclosure, you are a skirt sports ambassador, and I've kind of watched you on the periphery because that's what I do. I watch our community (laughs) of amazing women. But your story caught my attention one day when I saw a post in which you mentioned your battle with chronic illness. And the reason it really caught my attention is because you always look so vibrant and full of life in your public image, especially when, and you guys are going to love this when you go on to uh, Marie's social accounts here, when you see photos and videos of you doing trapeze as a sport or like, it's like an art. Um, (laughs) So, so I reached out to uh, learn more about your story and what do you mean by chronic illness? And you wrote this incredible blog describing your journey And when I read it, I just knew we needed to get your story out there in a bigger way. So let me just start out by thanking you for being so open to sharing the tough stuff. I know it takes a lot of courage to put it out there. So thank you for doing this today. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been interesting getting used to being okay with sharing everything about um, my journey, but it's good for me. It's challenging. Well, why, what do you mean by that? Like, why did you decide that you needed to share and why, what's been hard about it? I, well, the thing that triggered me the most to start talking about it, especially, um, the medical issues that stem from my, my military service was because a lot of the people that I worked with refused to, um, open up about it. And they, I just watched them suffering and like being afraid to talk about it or go get help. And I decided, you know what, if if they don't want to speak up about it and uh, fight to get the treatment that they need, then I will. <laughs> um, so it first started out as just trying to come alongside and help my fellow veterans. Um, and then because I also am a runner and I'm I go to a lot of uh, running events here in San Diego, 
and uh, people would start asking me, how do you run when you have, you know, this problem and that problem? And so then I just wanted to start sharing why running was so important to me. So it just kind of bloomed from there, I guess. Well, let's, uh, I think you're so right on, first of all, like, when you bottle things up inside, we know that that can lead to, like, actually probably enhancing symptoms and, oh, and yes. encouraging and feeding disease, right? Yes. Yeah. So let's talk, you know, let's just dig into the, what we're, we've already touched on. What is this chronic illness that you talk about? You take us through the story in whatever way yes. feels right to you. Okay. I'll start. So the main illness that I have and that I deal with the most is Gulf War syndrome. Okay. Um, <laughs> a lot of people have heard about it in the past from the Gulf War back in the 90s, um, but they haven't heard it so much from veterans coming back from the most recent um, rounds overseas. Um, but it is recognized in Operation Iraqi Freedom Veterans as well as Operation Enduring Freedom Veterans. Um, so I am one of the <laughs> younger people in the younger generation that uh, came back, uh, what do you call it, um, displaying symptoms of Gulf War Syndrome. Wow. Um, so what are those symptoms? A lot. Well, first of all, your digestive track, your intestines, all that seem to be destroyed. <laughs> um, it literally stops working. It's like the most severe form of IBS imaginable. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that's not only uncomfortable, but like humiliating. It and is very humiliating. And here's one thing I will share because I'm trying to be open and I want people who have this problem have Gulf War syndrome to not be afraid to admit this, but I am 35 years old and I can barely, I can barely go to the bathroom on my own. Wow. Like what do my you, my body does not do it naturally anymore. I have to take medication. Oh my gosh. And so, okay. And this is because of exposure to chemicals. Yes. According to the VA after extensive, extensive, um, working with the VA, trying to get properly diagnosed, um, they attribute it to most likely circumstance was exposure to toxic chemicals, which is totally believable because while I was over there, um, there was a lot of instances where we were around questionable uh, items like unexploded ordnance, uh, sulfur, things of that nature, and, you know, we didn't have any protection from it at all in any shape, way, shape, or form. Okay. So, so you came back, and you, did you know what was going on, or did it take a long time no, to diagnose? No, it actually didn't manifest itself till a little while later. I would say the symptoms didn't start getting bad until about almost two years after I got home. But I just started noticing like a decline of my health and I, for, and I was like, what is happening to me? Like I started bloating really bad, getting like extreme abdominal pain, um, vomiting, not being able to run at all because it hurt my insides so much. <laughs> um, so yeah, after I got home, that's what one of the main things that prompted me to start seeking out treatment. 
Okay, so when you you're going through this uh, phase of what is happening to me? I mean, did you think you were like going crazy? Um, no, I thought I was dying. Um, I was like, I thought, you know, there was times where I was just like, am I gonna die? Because it's just, this is so painful. And because I've always been athletic, I've always, you know, been able to run and do all this stuff. And I went from being able to run a marathon to not even be able to run two miles for my uh, physical fitness test in the army, which is ultimately what made me lose my military career was my health. Um, They decided that I was no longer fit for duty, which was totally true. Um, So I was medically separated. Wow. Okay. So let's, um, we've got two tracks I want to go down here. Maybe we can segue for a minute and talk about your military career. You know, you enlisted at 18, right? Yep. Yep. And what drove you to make that decision? Oh my goodness. Okay. So this is really funny. Um, people think I'm weird. I was a very weird child, but ever since I was about four years old, my ultimate childhood dream was to be a soldier. (laughs) Uh, Most four-year-old girls I know do not have that dream. (laughs) I know. I was just like, I was enamored. I was infatuated with the military. I mean, what do you think? uh, What do you think drove that? I have no idea. I grew up in a little rural town, a rural village in Indonesia with like no electricity when I was really little. Wow. Um, we would go out to the, the provincial capital sometimes, the major city, and I did go to school there. And there was a military base, uh, Indonesian army base in that town. So I was like, that was really my only exposure as a really young kid would be driving past that little compound. <laughs> wow, you were just born with it. Actually, I, I do want to talk a little bit about your very early years because... Um, you know, I know you were born in Indonesia and I was from, adopted. Yep. Uh, so t- let's see. I, I read a post that you recently put out that said you were literally left on the doorstep of an orphanage. Um, that wasn't me. That was my brother. Um, I was left at a Salvation Army clinic. Aha. Wow. Did you ever know your birth parents? Nope, not at all. I was left anonymously, no note, no nothing. Oh my goodness. So what happens from there? Well, thankfully, the nurses that worked at the clinic were extremely kind and they just, they uh, basically took me in and were raising me in the clinic um, as my caretakers. Um, But at the same time, spreading word around that there was this, mystery child at the clinic and if anybody was interested in adopting please do and I take it you got adopted I did (laughs) you were too cute I mean how could someone not want to adopt you I was a big fat looking baby (laughs) healthy I was very healthy especially for an Indonesian baby I was huge I was a giant mutant baby and you are so small now, which is I just know. so funny. Um, I've only grown. I've only grown one foot since I was seven years old. Oh my goodness! Okay, so how? <laughs> let's tell everyone how tall you are today. I am four feet eleven inches. All right, and very strong still. Um, so who who adopted you? 
It was a missionary couple that had come to Indonesia, and they had discovered that they were unable to have biological children um, for various medical reasons, and they'd already, you know, had decided that they were going to adopt, and they happened to be in the city um, where I was at and heard about me through the grapevine. Oh, wow. Okay, so were they uh, over in Indonesia for the long term, and where are they from? Yes. They are, well, my adopted dad is from here in San Diego. He was, yeah, spent most, a lot of his childhood here. And then my mom is actually from uh, right outside of Toronto, Canada. Oh, wow. Cool. (laughs) So you've got a lot, you've got like the international spirit going. Oh, my goodness. My family is a patchwork family. Um, Yeah. For a while growing up, we had three different nationalities in one family. So you mentioned your brother. Who else? Do you have other siblings? I have two brothers also adopted from Indonesia. Oh, wow. Okay. So your early years were unique. Very unique. <laughs> Tell me. Paint I have m- had such a crazy life. Let's paint a little more of that picture. Tell us some stories about those early years. Okay. Well, for my early years, the first house I remember living in was a bamboo house with a thatch roof. Wow. Uh, We cooked over an open fire. Uh, My mom washed clothes in the river. We had an outhouse. Um, Yeah, that was, that's my earliest memories um, growing up. Uh, Later on, we had a regular wooden house with, you know, doors and things like that (laughs) and a tin roof uh, with electricity and running water. Um, I went to boarding school out in the provincial capital. for a few years, and every few years, uh, we would make trips back here to the States to visit friends and relatives, so that's how I got to know San Diego. (laughs) Awesome, and so is there anything about like those early memories that you say, gosh, life was simple, or do you ever, you know, long for those kind of days again? Um, I wouldn't say I long for them, um, but I am definitely grateful that I had that experience growing up because it helps me appreciate all of the conveniences and amenities that I in the house I have now it's just like you know it's a complete it's like night and day difference wow so where in San Diego do you live I live in Claremont, uh, just about five minutes from Mission Bay oh perfect I know that's so cool Um, Wow. So what a background. So you knew, okay, you grow up, you have this sort of eclectic background. um, Weird infatuation with the military for some odd reason. So crazy. (laughs) I know. So cool, though. So but as other kids are doing that gut wrenching process of trying to figure out what they want to be. I mean, in your mind, you just always said what a soldier. My mind was set. Mm -hmm. I would make up because people like, okay, so I was teased quite a bit about it sometimes. Um, Adults, other adults in my life would be like, it's just a phase, like move on already. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, so. So when you uh, when you got when you were 18 and you could enlist, I mean, you just did you finish high school? I did. I actually finished. um, I did a uh, uh, what do you call it? correspondence course to high school because I my parents wanted me to have a high school diploma from the U.S. Um, and they told me that I could leave home whenever I graduated. So I graduated at 16. <laughs> oh, wow. And then you left home? And then I left home. 
<laughs> well, where'd you go? You couldn't be there in the military for two more years. Yep, lived with friends. Um, they basically signed over my bank account and everything. It's basically like the emancipation, I guess, they had to do for me. Wow, but you were on good terms, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just that they had said I could leave home when I, whenever I graduated, so I said I'm getting out of here as soon as possible. Did you work? Like, what were those couple years before mm-hmm. you enlisted like? Um, I enrolled at a, a college out here, and I basically had room and board with a really close family friend. Um, and it, like they were in exchange for living there, you know, I just I basically became like part of their family and helped out with chores and everything like that. Um, and then I uh, lived in a, the, dor- the college dorm for briefly, very briefly, before I enlisted. Wow, I mean this pretty uh advanced and mature path you know i mean this is this is proactive here at 16 going to college yeah i i look back and i'm like i shock myself sometimes i'm like how did i how did i do that but i did i was i mean it was hilarious i was having to set up um like my own phone service and i had no idea what i was doing so <laughs> well, I maybe it's a uh, the point is that you just started learning how to figure things out, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, okay. So so here you go. You enlist in the military at 18 years old. So do you yep. what happens then? Well, I went to went to basic training in Missouri, uh Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Um and then had I went through military police school in Missouri as well. Uh, graduated there, um, came back to San Diego, uh, was assigned to a unit out here, and I'd only been in, I'd been in less than a year before I was uh, called up to deploy for um, Iraq, the Iraq War. Oh, wow. So at 19, you went over to Iraq? Yes. Were there other women in your unit? Yes. I would say there was a uh, I don't know, maybe 15 of us. Okay. Out of how many? Like 100. <laughs> okay. Okay. So what was the culture like? Oh, goodness. Well, we were a military police unit. So very aggressive, very loud, very uh, rambunctious people. That was my unit. Wow. And uh, was there uh, were the women treated equal to the men? As far as I, my own personal experience, yes, I, I never had any, any complaints about, yeah, sexual harassment or, you know, I did feel like I had to prove myself a lot because I'm so small. A lot of people, I think the worst thing I got was just being underestimated all the time. (laughs) Mm, What does that feel like? Uh, very annoying. (laughs) Um, so like, for example, there's this weapon called a Mark 19. Um, it's fairly big. I believe it takes 80 pounds of uh, pressure to load uh, to load it. Um, you know, to like basically cock the weapon and have mm-hmm. it ready to fire. Yep. Um, and I was 95 pounds. <laughs> and so people were like, "I don't think she can do it. I don't think she can do it." So I remember being out on the range and being like, watch me. So I loaded it and it braced myself. I put both feet on the tripod and just flung that thing back. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
And then I ended up being a Mark 19 gunner in Iraq. So, yeah. Wow. That is absolutely crazy. You know, but I like this, um, you know, this thread about don't underestimate me. I think a lot of people can relate to that. I think sometimes we underestimate ourselves. Yes. (laughs) So that's a big lesson. Like, how do you, what's your advice to people? How do they get over that fear of being underestimated or step up to the plate? Um, for, well, my advice would just be to not be afraid of failure. Um, because some of the things, for example, in the military that I tried to do, I tried, I tried out for the military SWAT team. (laughs) Okay. Why are you laughing? I tried out for a local SWAT team just because it was so above my capabilities. Um, and everybody thought it was hilarious that I signed up. And basically, I knew going in that I was not going to pass. And I did not pass. But the, I wanted to see how far I could go and what I could do and what my limits were. And it was I had so much fun trying out, even though it was grueling and painful. Um, and I did not make the team. Um, but it was just I had to be okay with failing. I think that's an awesome lesson. I mean, here it is on, in a, a higher stakes world, but a lot of us don't sign up for the next race because we're afraid we'll fail. So Yeah, yeah. and I mean, I still struggle with it too. Like, like I have, I, I'm signed up for the Rock and Roll San Francisco half in April. And, you know, I'm just, I'm, I battle, I'm battling the self-doubt about whether, oh, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to do the hills okay? And, but I'm like, just keep telling myself, you got to be okay with whatever time you get. <laughs> well, that's just it. I mean, it's almost like a, a mantra that you need to keep coming back to. Do you have one, a, a word or a mantra that you live by that helps you get through those times of self-doubt? Um, well, one thing that I always do uh, is I tell myself that I'm the little engine that could. If there's a, there's this kid's book um, about a little train steam engine um, who was asked to pull this heavy load in an emergency, and he didn't think he could, but he keeps chugging up the hill saying, I think I can, I think I can. And uh, my parents re- used to read that book to me when I was little. And so sometimes, yeah, when I'm training or I'm on the treadmill having a horrible run or just, you know, doing something that is really hard, um, I imagine that I'm the little engine that could. Oh, I like that. I think that <laughs> is, that's a really good one. All right, I, I think we can allow people to borrow that one if they want to. Yes. Sound good? <laughs> it works. Just imagine yourself as a little steam engine chugging up the hill. Well, I think you need to you this is probably a good time to continue talking a little more about military life and the things that happened over in Iraq because in addition to chronic illness, I know that you also have PTSD and it wasn't all rosy. No, it was not all rosy at all. Yeah, it can can you tell us? Attic. Yeah. What was that? I said it was very traumatic in many mm. ways. Are you, do you feel comfortable sharing? Um, I can share, for example, um, I think one of the most traumatic things that happened for me while I was there um, was when my squad leader was blown apart by an IED. Wow. Um, and he was someone, you know, like I said, I was really young. I turned 20 um, during that deployment. Um and he was kind of like, he was older, and so 
and he was so experienced. He he could do everything amazing, and I, he was I was in awe of him all the time. And um, you know, you kind of because he was my squad leader, he was in charge of all of us in the squad, and so he was kind of like this father figure as well. Um, I just had really uh, had kind of that that attachment to him, not in, not in a weird way, but like just he was amazing to me. And then to see him just get destroyed in an instant like that um, just left me reeling. Um, I, I mean, that's horrible. That is something that doesn't seem real. I mean, it's hard for me oh, to even grasp listening to this. It didn't seem real at the time. <laughs> like, I was just like, you know, the dust is just flying all around and your ears are ringing. And and then, yeah, and then you realize that someone's, someone, there's blood all over. And you were like, who is it? And it was my squad leader. Oh. And you were still in the moment. I mean... Mm-hmm. And, and in danger, right? Yeah, I would say maybe not in immediate danger since the thing blew up, so it wasn't going to blow up again. But <laughs> um, definitely we were immediately, we immediately formed, you know, a, a circle, um, a perimeter um, to keep his him his body safe and, and keep the medics um, safe while they went to go get him, basically. Wow. So, so this is something, I mean, these things are real. These are things that so many of us only see in the movies and Mm -hmm. we assume that that's how it happens there. And, and it does. I mean, you're proof of that. So how do you, how do you handle a situation like this? How do you keep moving? I mean, was your dream of being a soldier, did that start to diminish with the terrible things that were happening? Um, surprisingly, <laughs> it never wavered. I loved my, I loved being in the military from beginning to end. Um, and I have no hard feelings against the military or I don't resent anything that happened. Um, but at that, in the moment, like when my squad leader was killed, I mean, the way we coped with it was we basically didn't cope with it at, in the moment. Um, you, we pushed it out of our minds, and within, you know, the next hour, it was, we acted like it never happened. Okay, and so are the other people in your unit, are you still in touch with some of them? Yes, I'm actually, uh, I help plan our annual reunions, which is so awesome. (laughs) Is it some, well, I guess one of my questions is, are you among sort of the mentally healthiest people who were were there with you? Are you watching other people unravel or are all of you feeling strong? I feel like I'm one of the strong ones. Um, I'm one of the strong ones who's open to talking about when I'm not so strong, um, I watched a few of, few of my peers unravel, um, which has been hard. Um, but for the most part, we've all stayed pretty strong and we've all stayed in touch with each other. We encourage each other. Um, yeah, they're, they're friends that I have bonded with. It's amazing. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. You always hear, you know, that um, those who you've been in combat with, you have this special bond, and that's totally true. Yeah, it's it's more than a team. It's more than, like, a sorority. This is something where you share life and death with people. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and you're mm-hmm. trusting them to save you if something happens and protect you, and they're expecting you to do the same for them at any given time. So when you um when you came back, did you you were deployed twice? Is that right? No, I was deployed once for a year. Okay, okay. We so, had one of the longest deployments known to man. <laughs> why was that? Um, and, uh, the Department of Defense not being very organized at the time. Um, trying to get troops on ground very, very quickly without proper planning. Mm. So, yeah. Wow. Okay, so you came back and you were 20 years old. I actually had two birthdays on that deployment. I turned 20 at the beginning and 21, uh, 20... Yeah, I had two birthdays. I, so I was actually 22 when I came back. Wow. So you're like, <laughs> most people your age have just finished their big party years. And here yes. you come back and you've probably got a lot more life perspective going on. Yes, I was a very, yeah, it was very, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a very heavy time of my life. That's how I describe it. Well, were you still continuing a military career while you were back then? Yes, yes. I I never got out. Um, once I got back here, got resettled, um, transferred back to the unit here in San Diego, um, went on an active duty stint. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, I was planning on being in the military for life. <laughs> so what changed that? Um, my health. <laughs> that was the one and only thing that, that derailed my career. You know, you mentioned that you have no hard feelings. How do you not blame someone else? Like, this wasn't your fault that you came back and you have Gulf War syndrome and, you know, severe issues. You To the point where you said earlier you thought you were going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do you, how do you not blame someone else? How do you get to that healthy place? Um, I think it's different for every person's situation. But for me, I just always come back to the fact that that being in the military was my dream my my main childhood dream and that never wavered um and so because I knew I was very conscious of the fact that I chose that career and I chose that life um I've never seen any reason to blame anybody else (laughs) you are so mature and so strong within yourself it's amazing I'm trying to like go, well, where's that thread of insecurity or, you know, recklessness or something? And, and you don't have it because you, you really take responsibility for you. And I think that's amazing. I do. I do take responsibility. I, I you know, I'm not gonna, I, yeah, I'm proud of the fact that I do. Um, the one time, I mean, being being kicked out of the military when I didn't want to be and for health reasons, um, I did go through a phase where I was extremely, extremely insecure because I had no backup plan. <laughs> okay, so this is when, this is when the shit hits the fan, basically, right? Yes. When, when oh, the, my goodness. When the dream is actually shattered, but it's out of your control. Yes. So exactly how it was. I mean, how how do you recover? What did you do during this dark time? 
Recovery was very, very slow. Um, I would say the one thing that really helped my recovery at that time was the fact that I had met my now husband, and he was extremely supportive. Um, he kept telling me, how, like, that he, reminding me that he was actually happy that I was out of the military, um, that we would have a more stable life together, and. I took that to heart, and he was he was kind of my rock during that time. <laughs> um, so I got I had plenty of great distractions. For example, planning my wedding, um, you know, buying buying a house, um, doing all this stuff that I'd never thought I would do while I was in the military. Um, so that was good, but the whole time I kind of floundered around not really knowing what direction my my life personally was going to take. Um, so I w one of the things I did is I was always looking for new adrenaline rushes. <laughs> so one day, I believe it was on Groupon, I found a deal for a flying trapeze class. And I told my husband, I said, you got to come do this with me. So we did, and he thought it was okay, and I fell in love. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so wait, let me back up here, because this is too awesome. We have to talk about flying trapeze. <laughs> but before then, there was a moment when you basically, I think your point was, you didn't feel like you had purpose. So yeah. you you know, a really important thing that you did, and I agree with, is finding a support system, and, and that happened to be with your future husband. Yes. And maybe yes. others. It was, it was amazing, perfect timing. Oh. Know, I was super blessed in that way. <laughs> did you have any actual therapy? I did. I did. I actually um, have gone to many uh, different therapy sessions, including group therapy, which has been really helpful. Oh, that's great. I mean, I think that's a really important thing for a message for people to hear is, you know, a lot of people say, I don't want to go. It's too expensive. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'll or like a therapist, you know, whatever. Yeah, I'll just talk to me my... With, sorry. No, you go ahead. With military friends, they're too embarrassed to go half the time. Oh, wow. Because it's that whole, you know, I'm a soldier mentality. We always face things you know we, we can always overcome that's like our that's like our mantra um so for me uh going to therapy at first was I kept it on I kept it on the down low <laughs> I didn't tell anybody that I was going um other than my like immediate family and closest friends um but now I I'm okay with shouting it from the rooftops and I'm like I'm in therapy and you need to be too <laughs> Oh, I love it. That is so great. Um, well, thank you. I think that's important for people to hear. And, you know, I totally understand the other coping mechanism, which is like distractions, you know, but at the end of the day, if you're not waking up with purpose, you're going to keep spiraling. So, so how did, um, flying trapeze, you said you fell in love. Like, I fell in love with it. So I was like, you know, the whole stereotypical, I'm going to run away with the circus. Uh, that basically happened for me. <laughs> <laughs> but your, did your husband go along for the ride or just watch from the sidelines? He just watches from the sidelines. He doesn't do anything circus related. Do you literally perform in a circus? 
A little one. Yep. I reduce, I do circus performances quite frequently. Okay. So is this what you do full time now? No, no, but I definitely train full time. (laughs) (laughs) The training is a full time job on its own. Oh my goodness. Especially since I came late in the game. I mean, a lot of the people in the circus world, you know, are former ballerinas and gymnasts and dancers and, you know, I don't, cheerleaders. I don't have any of that. Um, so I came super late in the game, like 26 years old. <laughs> so wait, I had just to have this, like, what is circus life like? Um, oh, we have so much fun. Um, the girls that I do trapeze with, we call ourselves the, we call ourselves trapeze sisters. They're the, like the sisters I never had. <laughs> um, we call ourselves a circus family and that's pretty much what it is. Um, just a lot of, uh, people always trying to do new things and uh we like to perform um yeah that's that's what that's what circus is all about (laughs) okay so we are going to embed some videos here onto the show notes pages so people can see what you're talking about and definitely they should go over and follow you on instagram can you let everybody know your handle Yes, my Instagram handle is MB, as in Bravo, underscore EPH. There it is, MB underscore EPH. You have to get over there and uh, check Marie out. It is really, really cool stuff. I have lots of videos of and bloopers of us practicing on there. <laughs> oh, I know. I love it. And a lot of them, you're wearing skirt sports double awesome. Yes, yes. Oh, can I please <laughs> talk about this for a second? Um I use, uh, you know, the, uh, what, what is, oh, now I can't think of it. It's the Redemption Knicks. Yes, that's what they're called. Yeah. The little short, short ones. Mm-hmm. I own like four or five pairs of those, and I wear them exclusively for double trap trapeze training. They're perfect because you're short. <laughs> Let's just yes. put it out there. And um, so they don't yes. look like full tights on you, but they're not shorts. And they cover the back of your knee, which I would assume you need a yep. little support. They cover the back of the knee, but they they leave a lot of skin exposed, which is very important for gripping um, and flying. So like when the other person is holding onto your leg, they're not holding slippery fabric. <laughs> they're actually holding my leg with my with chalk. <laughs> Let's uh I want to talk a bit about this idea that you said you fell in love. You know, we're all seeking that feeling throughout our entire lives. Like how do you recreate that feeling of the first time you fall in love with a person, a thing, a sport, a child, you know, whatever it is? What was it about trapeze that you know, drew you in which you fell in love? Um, I think the thing that drew me towards it was because it was so unique and so unusual. I didn't have any friends who did it. Um, and I fell in love with it because it was, it was such a challenge for me, but it was so fun. It was something like, like nothing I'd ever done before. (laughs) Wow. So do you, is it a sport that's easy for people to get into? Where can we find this? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, no, it's not easy to get into. Um, trapeze is one of the least popular aerial apparatuses because apparently it hurts. <laughs> have you fallen much? Um, not much. I have definitely had my spills and accidents. Um, 
and it's terrifying. Um, I do static, I do static and dance trapeze, and again double trapeze. So all of that is a lot lower to the ground than flying trapeze is. Um, but still, you can be ten feet up in the air, and it's kind of a nasty fall. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, okay, so how does running fit into your repertoire? Oh goodness. Okay, so I've always I've always loved to run, and I've found you know when I was a kid that I could actually do it fairly well. Like it just came naturally to me. Um, when I was in my teens, I you know, was a I was a super fast runner. Um, my fat like I, I look back at my times and I'm like I wish I could go back to those times. Um, but I just love to run and I love to run distances. And so uh, that was another thing I got into when I came back from Iraq was I decided to get seriously into distance running. Um, I signed up, you know, for a 5k. And then I was like, Oh, that was easy. Let me try a 10k. Oh, that was easy. Then let me let me really go out there and try a half. And then just like the trapeze, I fell in love with it. Wow. You are blessed with this ability to open yourself up to fall in love with things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. So it's funny because I'm listening and I jotted down these these thoughts. Like you have, you're one of those people, and we all meet people like this, who seem to have all these very interesting and different lives, but you're the same person. Yes. It's like, you know, you, you have your military life and your military background that's really helped form and shape you. And you have your circus life and you have mm-hmm. your running life and yes. you have your marriage life, you know, yep. and I'm sure more. What am I missing? Oh, I don't know. My teach, uh, I just got a job as an aerial instructor. So that's my, my very newest life coming to, coming to be. That's amazing. So now you're going to be helping shape and form other people. And that's a big responsibility. It is. And it's crazy. And I'm just like in awe of the fact that I've gotten to the point that I've that I can be an instructor for this. Since, like I said, I came so late in the game. (laughs) Well, let's um, let's let's circle all the way back around to what we started on, which was a discussion about chronic illness, because (laughs) through all of this, you still are dealing with the Gulf war syndrome. Do you have um, more? Half the time. (laughs) Exactly. Do you have more than one diagnosis? Yes. The two main ones that I have are Gulf war syndrome. And then stemming from that, I have Meniere's disease. And what is that? Meniere's disease is the deterioration of your inner ear. Um, They don't really understand how it happens. Again, they just think my ears must have gotten destroyed um, both by, you know, hearing loss from explosions and things of that nature, um, possible traumatic brain injury, and then chemical exposure. Um, So my right ear is the most damaged. Um, It causes me a lot of uh, problems sometimes with, and this is gonna, it's gonna sound crazy, with balance and, <laughs> and, uh, orientation, um, and I have, I get massive, uh, very severe vertigo attacks sometimes. So I, I mean, this is pretty severe, and both, having both issues, right? Like, you're, you're holistically affected by this experience you had, and, and you'll have this for the rest of your life, right? Yes. 
yes, because both Gulf War syndrome and Meniere's disease, there is no ultimate cure for those. So there are people listening who I believe I know also have and suffer from chronic disease and chronic chronic illnesses. And um, what I guess what are just for a little advice, you know, what are the keys to getting through the days that are not so good? Oh, goodness. When the days are not good, uh, the best advice I can give is to remember that some days are going to be better and just accept the ones that are not and take it for what it is. Um, For me, I've had to learn like when my I'm so dizzy, I can't stand up. I can't walk straight to just let my body just lay down and let it happen and it will pass. Um, And then I can be back up to running and trapeze. Um, Getting through those those days, like there were some days when I would be in bed for like four days straight, um, was just reminding myself that this is something that is happening to my body. I cannot control it. But when I'm feeling better, I need to seize every moment that I'm feeling better and make them count. (laughs) And that is exactly the energy I feel from you today. Um, so do you have any tips or tricks for people to turn it around and, and create that aura of positivity for themselves? Honestly, I think it's something that each person has to find for themselves because like for me, when I'm, when I'm really, really dizzy or I'm throwing up stomach acid, um, (laughs) um, I just, I I remind myself constantly that, that I'm strong and all the things that I can do and it doesn't matter in the moment that I'm throwing up stomach acid. Um, You know, I I can run a marathon. (laughs) I don't really know how to explain it. Well, I think you just did. It's, it's not forgetting that underneath that terrible moment you're in is a very strong person with a strong core yes yeah and you know even sorry yeah go ahead I said and I never let myself um not have a have a goal um uh that I'm working towards for example I am always signed up for the next race or I'm always looking uh practicing tricks for the next show Um, I never let myself just kind of level off because I feel like if I did that, um, I would, I would, uh, what do you call it? Like, like give in to my illness. And that's a, that is a great point, you know, and it comes all the way back to that purpose. Cause even when you're struggling, you know, that there'll be another good day and then you will wake up with purpose to pursue the next goal. If you didn't have that goal you could squander, you know, wander around in misery, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I tell people, like, a lot of times they're like, they're, you know, when they're like, you do such crazy things on trapeze, I can't believe you're so sick. And, yeah, and I'm, I'm just like, you don't see me on those days <laughs> because I'm in bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point, I know. So we all have those down days, exactly. And, you know, even to the point of um, the power of pursuing fitness when all signs point to the fact that maybe 
you maybe most people think you shouldn't because you have these illnesses that you deal with. Mm-hmm. Do you maybe you can talk a little bit about how fitness has um, you know lifted you? Yeah, fitness to me is actually a really great form of therapy as well. Going back to my other issues with PTSD and everything, um, I find when I am focused on working out and making my body feel and be as healthy as I can get it to be um, is actually very therapeutic. <laughs> um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, I think you're right. Body and mind go together in that sense. So you are right on. Well, okay, a couple more questions here because we've definitely, like, we've nailed it today. We did, we got through so much and we're already, <laughs> we've already passed our 5K, my usual MO here. Um, so how would you define yourself today? I would define myself as a hmm as a warrior. <laughs> what does that mean? A warrior who has to constantly fight different kinds of battles, whether it be mental or physical. Um, but I will never what do you call it put down my put down my weapons or let down my guard. Um, because if that, if I did that and I've told my husband this many times and he totally agrees with me, if I didn't keep fighting and I just let the Gulf War syndrome and the PTSD and Meniere's disease, um, take over and I'll just be like, Oh my goodness, I can't do anything anymore. It hurts too much. Uh, I guarantee you I would be bedridden in the next couple of years. (laughs) You, that's a great way to define yourself. We're going we're gonna to put warrior and just tape it up to your mirror. Yes. I love it. Well, let's, uh, let's move it into the final question here. I want to keep going, but man, we got lives to live, don't we? We've got, tra- <laughs> we got trapezes to go fly around on. I, I'm already, I mean, in my brain, I, you know, I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, what time, what time should I go for a run today? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. Well, this is the final question that I ask every guest who comes on the show. If you could leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Um, well, it's actually a quote, and it would definitely apply to anybody out there struggling with any type of medical illness, um, be it physical, mental, emotional, Um, it's a quote that I have always loved and it says, uh, don't deny the diagnosis, but try to defy the verdict. Oh, I love that. Let's repeat that one. Go for it. Uh, don't deny the diagnosis, but try to defy the verdict. But try to defy the verdict. I love it because defiance in the end can be a really good thing, can't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because oh. technically, like for me, I get these vertigo spells. Vertigo and being on a trapeze don't go together. But I'm like, whatever. I defy you, vertigo. <laughs> <laughs> I defy you, vertigo. Oh, I just love it. Well, your energy is contagious. Your outlook on life is so positive. We all want to have some of what you're having. So thank you for sharing yourself today and for coming on the show. Thank you so much for letting me. This has been amazing. 
well, you just keep doing what you're doing out there. And I think the world is going to be a better place because of it. I will. Thank you. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, There are so many things about Marie that I appreciate. Uh, Her story reminds me of the concept that everyone is fighting some sort of battle. Marie literally fought battles in the military, and when she came back, she fought battles with her own mind and body. I love that she defines herself as a warrior who's learned to remind herself how strong she is. You know, as she says, when the going gets tough, I'm the little engine that could. Remember that? I think I can. I think I can. It's just such a strong visual for me to imagine a person saying this when things are tough. We can say it in our mind. We can say it out loud. And we all know that story because here's the deal. We can. We truly can. Strong mind is trumps your strong body. I want to repeat her final nugget because I think it's important. It truly sums up the kind of person Marie is and the kind of person we could all strive to be. When hit with something tough, don't deny the diagnosis, but try to defy the verdict. I love it. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in today. You are all amazing people. I have this podcast so that I can help spread the love and inspiration I see in people around me and because it connects all of us in some small way because we're all making our mark in this world and we are not alone. All right, everyone, on that note, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout and I'll see you next week.